Welcome to Mythalies, the podcast where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all over the world. We're your hosts. I'm Zoe. And I'm Lizzie. And how are you today, Zoe? I'm good. I'm quite tired. I've been incredibly busy the past few weeks. Uh, the semester started and my professors did not give us any breathing room. They immediately jumped in with lots and lots of work. So that was exciting um, and unexpected. Nice. But I think I've sort of managed to develop a routine and get on top of everything. So that's good. Nice. How are you, Lizzie? I'm fine. I feel like fall came like extremely fast. Yeah. It just got really, really cold. Mm-hmm. Very true. And um, and I'm afraid to turn my heating on because gas prices are really expensive right now. Uh-huh. So yeah. Yeah. So I'm just layering and I bought a wireless like heated pillow yeah that's how I am trying to survive the winter but it's fine I'm excited for fall Mm -hmm, me too yeah I am excited for fall yeah we can't turn our heat on yet because of how the the college works you know they just start they like started the like big power plant thing that starts the heat a few weeks ago and it's not ready for us to like all start turning our heat on yet so we don't have heat yet okay but I've been doing okay I run naturally warm, so I've been fine. I have, like, a blanket at night if I get cold, but for the Can't most really. part, I'm fine. Yeah, sorry. It's like Edward and Jacob. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm Edward. And I'm Jacob, but can I say I'm hotter <laughs> than you, as what I think Jacob <laughs> says in the, the movie. Probably. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Probably. I actually watched New Moon the other day. I have seen New Moon. I haven't seen the other ones, and I don't know if that happens in New I haven't Moon. seen the clips because I don't like Eclipse. I think it was an eclipse. I can't tell you anything that happens in eclipse. I know some things that happen in no, all yeah, the literally same. I don't know what happens in eclipse because because eclipse is the worst one. <laughs> sure, I believe it again. That's how that's how I feel. Never read them. Never seen the movie. Oh, I've seen. Oh, then you wouldn't. I've never seen the eclipse <laughs> movie. I've seen the Twilight movie and the New Moon movie, and I haven't seen Eclipse or any of the Breaking Dawn movies. Oh, never so you weren't a Twilight books. kid then? No, it was before my time. My sister read the books. Oh, I guess they were a bit. It was a bit before your time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it started when I was like in middle school, mm-hmm. so you would have been really young. Yeah, I mean, I was <laughs> too young to read it or whatever. Um, but I did see the movie yeah. like when it came out. So, and it was you know a whole fad, and hating on Twilight became a thing really fast. So, no, yeah, I was in both camps. I was in the Twilight reading camp, and I was in the hating on Twilight camp at different times, uh-huh. obviously. Yeah. But yeah. Anyways, all this to say, I run naturally warm, <laughs> like Jacob from Twilight. <laughs> that is where the comparison exactly. stops, I believe. You're not a wolf? No, unfortunately. Anyways. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, on a more serious note, I do have a correction to make from an episode a few weeks ago, um, which is our Dropadi episode. 
And the correction is that in the episode, I originally mentioned uh, Bhagavad Gita, and I think I said it was like a literary poem that's also like super important to Sanskrit literature. But that's not a fully accurate description of the Bhagavad Gita. It's not just a poem. It's also a really important religious text and scripture to Hinduism. And so I wanted to acknowledge that I, first of all, didn't do the proper research on what the poem was um when i did the episode so that was um uh improper of me and also that i sort of simplified and like devalued the role of the poem um to people practicing hinduism and i apologize for that and since then we have edited the episode to take that bit out because it was a pretty small bit and also we've just added a little note um that yeah a viewer pointed this out and so mm-hmm. we took that and yeah and have edited it but we also just wanted to acknowledge it yeah so thank you to the viewer for pointing it out and so if you listen to the episode now it's not there but we added a note to um the instagram post and the episode description to mention that it had been in there and we have since taken it out and um in the future we and especially me will do better research when um looking at texts regulating to hinduism and also all religious texts i think is really yeah we try to do we try to do very proper research whenever we can, but like we do often talk about cultures that we're not a part of. Mm-hmm. So if anyone wants to correct something we've said in an episode, please feel free. Mm-hmm. We have a contact form on our website. Yep. Yeah, and I think at the what happened was I was just like, oh, I know what this is, and I was just wrong. I didn't know what it was, and I should have double-checked myself, and I didn't. So in the future, I will definitely be double-checking myself a lot more because I... Mm-hmm. Definitely am no way an expert on Hinduism and a knowing expert on most of the or pretty much all of the things we talk about on this podcast. So that being said, uh, we also just want to remind you that we have a Ko-fi page and we also have an option to subscribe to our bonus episodes on Spotify, mm-hmm. which um, Ko-fi is a nice option if you just want to donate some money to us. And Spotify is also a nice option if you want to listen to the bonus episodes like on an actual podcast player. Also, if you want if you want to listen to our bonus episodes, you can do so either via Kofi or via Spotify subscriptions. Our most recent bonus episode, we talked about Tommy DePaola's very classic children's book series, Streganona. Yeah. And it was a really fun discussion and you should listen to it. Yeah. And our other bonus episodes. That all being said, Zoe who are we talking about today? Yeah, so today I'm continuing our Halloween theme, although in a slightly different direction. This lady is not necessarily a scary lady, but she does have a bit of a Halloween-ish, one could think, association. And that I'm talking about Princess Leutongi, who is the Samoan goddess associated with bats. Cool. Yeah. So have you heard of her at all? No. Okay, that's fine. But yes, so as I said before, she is associated with bats. She is, I think, now still worshipped as a goddess or considered to be a goddess. But she was also at one point also considered to be a figure that then became more powerful than just a normal human being. And she has a pretty classic story that is associated with her. So basically, um, the story goes back to... um, the long-standing feud or sort of unrest and tensions between Samoa and Tonga. It's lasted for a really long time. Um, they are two sort of 
main islands, groups of islands in the Pacific Ocean. Um, Samoa consists of two main islands, which are Savai'i and Upolu, um, as well as several smaller islets. And it's located about 2,600 miles south of Hawaii, if that helps people sort of locate it. And then Tonga is the foreign nation closest to Samoa. It's about 522 miles southwest. So it's still, of course, not very close, but it's closer than anywhere else. And it's made of about 171 islands, of which about 45 are inhabited. And since they're the two closest um, nations to each other, they've had a lot of interaction throughout the years, them and also Fiji, which is nearest to them, though not as close as the two of them are. There's been a lot of trade and there's also been um, a decent amount of conflict. And so at one point during an active war between Samoa and Tonga, there was an attempt at peace made through marriage. So Samoa sent their princess Leotongi to marry the king of Tonga and be his second wife. And this choice was sort of made for Princess Leotongi. She was not super thrilled about the idea of leaving Samoa, but she it was her duty and she didn't really have a choice. So she went with it and she left her home islands and sailed and like, you know, went all the way to Tonga and knew she probably wasn't ever going to be able to return. So it was pretty sad. But even though they got married. The war still continued. It didn't really do anything to ease the fighting, but she still lived on the island. Uh, she still lived on Tonga, and she also wasn't treated super well by the people on the island because she was she wasn't Tongan. She was Samoan, and she was you know related to the people they were fighting, and she was also the king had another wife who was Tongan, and she was pretty mean to her. And also, Princess Leotongi was pretty kind. She was really nice to nature. She was careful around everything to make sure that she was, you know, respecting everything and, like, treating it carefully and not destroying things unnecessarily. And the queen, the king's first wife, um, saw her kindness as a weakness. And so everyone around Princess Leotongi was pretty mean to her. They, even the ones who were like tasked with taking care of her as like aides, were still pretty rude to her and disrespectful. So she was extremely lonely because there was like no one around her that was like really nice to her. And so she spent a lot of time out in nature away from everyone. And so one day, when she was on a walk with her retainer, she found a fruit bat with an injured wing lying on the ground. And so, feeling bad for the bat, she went to try and help it. And her retainer was thought she that was weird for her to do and mocked her, pushed her aside to try and put the bat out of its misery. But she stood up to him and was like, no, I'm going to take care of this bat and commanded him as royalty to stand down and let her take care the bat on. So she picked up the scared bat and promised to help it so that it wouldn't be alone, unlike herself. Oh, yeah. That's so sad and nice. Yeah. So she now had a companion in this bat who had been injured and that she had found in the forests. And so when she returned to the palace with her bat, the retainers and the servants all mocked her um, for taking a bat in instead of like just letting it die as you know as the sort of natural way of life but she ignored them and she began to nurse the bat back to health she would take it out of her room at night and she would feed it bits of fruit you know like nice mangoes and uh, papaya and stuff and 
the bat sort of gave her new purpose in life. You know, it gave her someone to, someone to spend time with. It gave her someone to care for. And even though she still missed her native country and was sad that she could never return to her country, she told about stories about Samoa and she sang songs about home to it. And so she sort of had like an outlet for that now. That's really nice. Yeah. And then eventually, of course, because she was taking such good care of the bat, the bat's wing eventually was healed enough that it could finally, you know, go back into the wild and return to its normal life as a bat. And that, of course, made her really sad because she was this was her companion and now she didn't have she was going to have to let go of it. But she knew it was So the bat just flew away. Well, so the bat hadn't left yet, but she was going to like sort of release it back into the wild. So she was getting ready to say goodbye, and she went out into the forest at night, which was a little dangerous because there were dangerous spirits in the forest at night. But she wasn't afraid, and she took the bat into the woods after dark, and she looked for a safe place to leave it. And when she found a good spot, she said goodbye and lifted it into the sky and let it fly safely away. And yeah, so the bat was gone. And she was, of course, quite sad and alone again. And the people around her were still being really mean to her. And the king's first wife, actually the queen, mocked her and said that since she was so good at taking care of little things, she should now take care of her son, the prince, the the, the queen's son, not Leotongi's son. And the prince was, of course, a spoiled brat and was not kind and like just demanded everything and was not... A nice person to spend time with but because the queen as the first wife had like precedence and was better liked by everyone she could make Leotongi do that and so now yeah, she had seniority yeah she had seniority and no one really liked Leotongi um, and so she was forced to watch him and get him to behave day and night and so one night Leotongi was just overwhelmed by everything and she snuck away into the night she was no longer afraid of the night spirits. She just wanted to go back um, into the woods again. She just wanted to get away from it all. And then mm. she suddenly heard a fluttering of wings. And looking up, she saw no one else other than her bat descending upon her. Aww. And she rejoiced to see it again. The bat came back. Yeah, so the bat came back to her and she spent the night with it as she always had before when she was taking care of it. She was singing songs. She was telling it stories just like the old days. And so she began to do this more often. Every night she began to sneak out to see her bat. She brought pieces of fruit to share with it. And as time went on, other bats began to join and she became close with all of them. And so since she had this like sort of outlet for her life to you know to see the bat and for people to and something for her to do that like was brought her joy she no longer felt like super awful spending time with the prince during the day she didn't mind it as much but then one day the prince grew ill so did you say how old the prince is no i assume the prince is like pretty young like a little kid so the prince got sick and leotongi was like hey the prince is sick um, I think like something's wrong with him, but everyone was like, oh, you're just making a big deal out of nothing, um, including the mom, including his own mother, the queen. So she tried to take care of him, but she didn't really have any help or support. And so finally, one night after returning from her excursion with the bats, she found out the prince had died. Oh, yeah. 
And so the queen, of course, blamed Leotongi for his death, and the king declared that Leotongi must be burned alive in order to pay for her flaws and for the oh my suffering that she had brought upon him and that he had lost his child and his heir. And so she was powerless and she was surrounded by her enemies. And so she was bound to the tree. She was bound to a tree and awaiting her death. She didn't obviously didn't want to be burned to death, but like there was nothing she could do. She like, I mean, yeah, she's kind of powerless. She was overwhelmed. There was completely outnumbered. Um, No one was there to help her. So she just like was waiting for her and she began to sing one last song from her childhood. Mm. And as the flames rose around her, Everyone began to hear a strange sound, sort of like a beating, rushing sound. And so from the trees of the island emerged a massive swarm of bats, like all the bats on the island. And they extinguished the fire around Princess Leotongi and left her unharmed. Um, That's so nice. They they peed on the fire and they left her unharmed. Yeah. And now that she was safe from being burned alive and also had an entire army of bats on her side, the people of Tonga became pretty afraid. They couldn't send her back to Samoa because, you know, they had struck this deal with the people and they didn't want to make hostilities worse. But also they couldn't let her stay on their island because they were afraid of her. So they decided to just try and abandon her on a barren island and hope that nature would do the work of killing her for them. I would think that if they were going to burn her alive, that would make a bigger political statement than, like, sending her home. Mm, That's a very good point, you know, but... (laughs) Not the point of the story, I guess. I guess it's not the point of the story. I don't know. That would be cause for war. I guess. Or maybe, like, the reason why they didn't want to send her back was less because they... Was less about, like, you know, oh, we had this deal and now we broke it and we're breaking it by sending you back and more like we don't want to send this like clearly powerful woman like back to help you in the war or something like that i don't know oh yeah yeah it could be there was less like it wasn't really explained um and i don't really know the details of the politics um but fair for whatever reason they were like we can't send her back to samoa um so we're gonna abandon her on a barren island and hope that she just like dies of hunger and thirst you know Mm mm-hmm But her friends can fly. Well, interesting you should mention that, right? So after some time, they had abandoned her. The Tongan king was like, hmm, maybe we should make sure that she's dead. Like, it's a good idea. Just just, just to be safe. And so he sent a retainer after Leotongi in order to make sure that she had died. Um, And so when the retainer arrived on the island, he did not find a dead princess. But he found Leotongi looking very alive. In fact... She looked more healthy and more beautiful than ever before. And Mm. she welcomed him to a new home, no sign of any, like, grudges or anything. And she offered him the most beautiful and delicious fruits he had ever seen. And when he asked her where she had gotten them, she just pointed to the sky. And so the retainer was frightened and he ran back to his canoe and just paddled away as fast as he could. He did not want to stay there anymore. (laughs) But as he was escaping the island, he heard another rushing sound, and he turned to see a massive swarm of bats settling down on the island. And they were bringing with them food and supplies. And Leotongi welcomed them back happily, especially the bats that she had nursed back to health. So she was living there happily on the island. They could not kill her because all her bat friends were bringing her the things she needed to survive. And eventually, as time passed, she became recognized more than just a princess, but worshipped as a goddess of both bats and fertility. 
So that's really nice. Yeah. That's a great story. It is a really fun story. Um, what are your thoughts so far? So I was thinking about like why specifically bats would be like a good creature for this story. And I feel like bats are quite like kind of an ostracized animal. Yeah, for sure. Which is like why, you know, vampires are like bats because like bats are kind of outside of everything and mm-hmm. bats are not really like accepted by humans the way that a bunch of other animals are like people are yeah either like scared of bats or like if you saw a bat you would definitely freak out mm-hmm. you know like you would not want it to be like a pet or something yeah so I think it makes sense that like princess Leotongi would like feel kinship with the bats because she's also ostracized and not accepted and mm-hmm. lonely and considered to be weird so I think it's nice that it's, like, a bat and not just any random animal. Because, like, she, it it makes sense. Like, there's parallels. And it's nice that she's taking care of, like, a kind of... A creature that's kind of seen as scary, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I don't know if it's specifically seen as scary in Tonga. But, like, mm-hmm. from what I know, bats are not friendly. Mm-hmm. Like, seen as friendly by people. Yeah. I mean, so, actually, it's very interesting that you would mention that because that's part of my notes for this episode is that uh, um, of course as we talked about bats have a pretty negative connotation throughout like Europe and North America because as we've sort of talked about you know vampires ostracization they're associated with like rabies and stuff even though bats actually have pretty low yeah rates and of like rabies. nighttime yeah nighttime <laughs> and, like, caves. Um, and stuff like that darkness um, but actually yeah. um, bats have different mythological connotations based on where you are in the world And I do want to point out that I am playing into our um, Western perception, like our Western European perception of bats, because like I am talking about bats in the concept, like a bat goddess in the concept of like, in the context of like a Halloween related episode. But also, I do think it's interesting to talk about how bats actually do have different connotations based on where you are in the world. So they have pretty negative connotations in Europe, um, the United States and Central America. Um, they're sort of associated with fear, uneasiness, and punishment. But they actually have more positive connotations of like luck, longevity, and helpfulness in China, India, Japan, and also the Pacific. Oh. So they have slightly different connotations. Actually, not slightly different. Like absolutely opposite connotations, depending on where you are in the That's world. That's interesting. Okay. Which is cool and interesting. And actually, there are stories related to bats like, specifically in mythology in the area of, like, Samoa, Fiji, Tonga, in that they, in mythology from these islands, spirits often fly and reside in trees and often take forms of flying tree-residing animals, such as birds Mm -hmm. or also bats. And they're actually the totemic animal for the king of Tonga and used as a symbol of protection on the island. So... Mm. They actually have, like, a more positive connotation, like, as a protection symbol on Tonga. Yeah. I mean, that's that's clear from the story. Like, they even, like, when he looks up and just, like, sees fruits falling from above mm-hmm. or something. Or, no, that she, that she looks up and so like, oh, they're from the sky. Mm-hmm. Like, that makes them seem very mythical, like, powerful. Yeah. Like, a deity type of thing. Like, oh, there's just, like, I get fruits from, like, the sky because bats bring them to me. Like, that does seem like a powerful... Yeah. Type of figure. Yeah. And so, like, the association with her and bats is less like, oh, she's the scary lady who, like, controls all the bats and stuff. And more like, oh, this woman is very powerful and we, like, messed with the wrong woman or we treated this woman badly, I feel like, is sort of the connotation here. Right? 
Yeah, because like now look, she has the bats on her side, yeah. and that cannot end well for us because mm-hmm. bats are protective and powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's actually a little story about um, these islands where um, once upon a time there were Fijians who knew how to fly. And so they decided at one point they were going to fly over to Samoa and steal yams from Maliatoa, who was one of the four papa or district titles in Samoa. And also yams, as a side note, are an important crop for Tongans. So there's it's just all connected here. Mm-hmm. But uh, Maliatoa catches them in a net. He notices they're stealing his crops and he forces them to admit their crime. And then after they've done that, he changes them into bats and chases them off of Samoa all the way to Tonga, where they became their totem animal. So mm. there's this sort of story that unites all three islands um, in this area. Or all three island nations, because they're not just one island each, but you know. So that's interesting, too. Um, and that also gives, like, you know, a greater association of bats to humans, because it's like these bats were once humans. Yeah. So they were flying, and and now they're on tonga as like a sort of sacred or like you know respected animal like they are respected i think that you know the reason why the um i mean there's like respect to wanting to put an animal out of its misery too right you know it's like we're not gonna let this animal just suffer until it dies i think that's not necessarily a bad thing that like the attendant wanted to do that or the retainer i think was the title but i think you know she just like saw a sort of different she had a different point of view and was like, I think she saw a creature that was like suffering and just really wanted to help. Yeah. Well, she saw a creature that was not done for. She saw a creature that could potentially like be saved. And if like the creature was like too far gone, I think, like you know, putting it out of its misery wouldn't necessarily have been a bad thing. Um, but she. Yeah. But like from her perspective, like she was also suffering and she was like lonely and mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, but I can help this creature who's also hurting. Yeah, you know, she, like, saw herself in the creature and was like, this creature's suffering, but it's not over for this creature yet. Just, like, I'm suffering, but it's not over for me yet, you know? Yeah, and it's like that kind of showed her own resilience Mm -hmm. of, like, I'm suffering, but, like, I'm gonna get through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so there's actually also, I found a second version of the story, which is a little different than the first version. So the first version is um, from the Legends from the Pacific podcast, where they have an episode um, about Princess Leotongi. And then I found another example of the story, which is from an earlier time. It's basically adapted from like what appears to be the first time the story was physically written down by, at least by Europeans. Um, it was written by, down by the German colonizer Augustin Kramer and recorded by Catholic missionary brother Henry Gunson. And it differs from the original story that I told in several important ways in that it says that Leotongi was overwhelmed by anger about her inability to have children while the Tongan queen was able to successfully make an heir for the king. And part of this was because the court saw that she was, you know, unsuccessful in having a child and teased her about it and compared her to the the queen who had been able to have a child. So it absolutely makes sense you would develop a complex about that if, you know, you're Everyone was like, oh, you can't make an heir, but this woman can. You would absolutely become like angry or upset about it. But because of her anger and unhappiness, she actually decided she wanted to kill the queen's baby in this version. So one day while she was out with the queen and her child, the queen asked they were going to go bathing. The queen asked uh, Leotongi to hold the child while she bathed herself first. And 
Princess Leotongi realized she had an opportunity for revenge, and so she murdered the child. And the queen heard the child cry out, hurried back, and of course found that her child was dead, and immediately suspected Leotongi. And once they like looked at it, I mean, it was pretty obvious, I think, like what had happened. They decided she must be put to death by burning. And then... The same thing occurs as before. They set the fire. The bats come to put it out. And then they abandon her on the island. And this time it's noted that a malevolent spirit named Lossi lives on the island. And they leave her on that specific island with the hope that he will kill Leotongi. However, he doesn't bother because he thinks she'll die anyway from lack of food and water. So he like just kind of watches her and like doesn't really put in the energy to actually kill her. Um, She's pitiful enough that like I don't have to do anything. Yeah, basically. Um, but of course, as before, the bats come to bring her food and she survives. And then eventually a Fijian man named Tui Avea sails by and she calls him to shore and invites him to stay with her as her husband. And then he agrees and they live together happily and she bears him a son named Fa'asiga. And then once Fa'asiga was fully grown, she sent him away from her island back to Savai, which is one of the two main islands of Samoa. But before he left, she gave him three titles to bring with him. So the first one was Sonameipiea, which means the right thing brought about by bats. Then there was Tulamai, which is to look upon, like the spirit Lassi looked upon her but did not harm her. And then Tauili, which means to cover an earth over with pebbles. And that is actually a reference to the fact that usually someone's covered their ovens with leaves. But since her island had no plants, she used pebbles. And so, yeah. That is the story, the second story. It follows some basic points, but it differs in that there's bigger emphasis on her ability to have a child. She actually murders the queen's child, and she has a husband at the She's end. She's not just wrongly accused. Is there still bats in this one? Yeah, there's still bats. I just didn't go into full detail because it's basically the same as the first story, and I didn't want to be too repetitive. But like, yeah, the bats come, yeah. they put out the fire, um, and then they bring her food and stuff on the island. So besides besides those details, everything's basically the same. But yeah, uh, do you have any thoughts on this story? I I like when they focus on the bat thing more because I feel like it has like a moral to the story mm-hmm. of like be kind to disenfranchised creatures or people mm-hmm. like help people and they'll help you back but also but also the bass didn't help her because just because they like owed her or whatever but also mm-hmm. because she was very genuine and like caring about it i assume yeah this is just reading in between the lines and it wasn't just so that she could have them help her at a crucial moment yeah it's because she genuinely cared yeah but I mean, yeah, it's also nice that she has a son and, like, a husband. It's mm-hmm. nice that she wasn't totally lonely in the island. Yeah. It's like, that seems like it would be extremely lonely literally being exiled mm-hmm. to an island by yourself with yeah. bats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like that. I mean, I think that, you know, the idea that she is able to ultimately fulfill, like, what she's been set out to do, which is to be a wife and to probably produce an heir of some sort, is able to be fulfilled in the second version, um, although in a slightly different way. Yeah, the story could go on. He could come back and visit. Yeah. He could bring his own children to visit. Yeah, you know, like, it's a nice... It it can continue on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the second story I found, like, within an essay that was about, like... At analyzing the story so I found a lot of analysis specifically for the second story but a lot of it has to do with like the political relationships between Tonga and Samoa and Fiji at the time in which they were engaged in a lot of as I said before there was a lot of like 
interaction going on. They were trading a lot. And there were also like a lot of like marriage between the three different islands at the same time. In this sort of like relationship of trade and marriage that existed between the three like island nations, um, Tongan women were generally viewed as having superior status to Tongan men. And so they would be sent to marry not Tongan men, but Fijian men. And in exchange, Tongans would receive red parakeet feathers. And then the Tongan men would exchange those feathers for Samoan wives. And then in Samoa, the parakeet feathers would be woven into ceremonial mats, which were sent as dowry alongside their women and used in important political ceremonies. So there was this whole like interchange going on. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And so in some ways, uh, Tonga has a sort of regional dominance. Um, You can sort of see in that like quick summation of how the trade was working that Tonga was sort of the focus like they were the ones who were getting most of the things in the end but yeah it, like it basically it sort of shows that like the narrative of the trade is in which like Tonga is the center and it shows that like in Tongan culture Tongans are on a higher social level than Samoans and we can really see that in Leotongi's treatment and the court you know she's pretty much looked down upon and treated pretty badly. Yeah. And throughout the story we see the king's Tongan wife asserting her social dominance through many ways. First through her taunting Leotongi about her childlessness and then demanding that she bathe first which would outright like assert a social dominance of like I get to bathe first because I'm like higher status than you sort of thing, right? Yeah. And and so at first it seems like the story is aligning with the narrative of Tongan dominance because she has to Leo Tongi has to care for a child that's not hers. You know, she's being like trodden upon by society, I guess. But then she, while the queen bathes and she kills the child, she's sort of reasserting her own agency and rebelling against the submissive role she's been forced into. And she's also challenging the narrative that holds Tongans as inherently superior by destroying the royal bloodline in one moment by demonstrating its vulnerability. Because Samoans didn't have as much of like a like bloodline-based system of like ruling, but Tongans did. And so like by, you know So that's a powerful statement. Yeah. So by like killing the sun, she's in support like of Samoa. Here's see how easily I can destroy you, your like future like ruler. Because if it's just by bloodline, like, there he's gone. What are you going to do now? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And then if she, she, her rescue from punishment by bats and ability to flourish and have her own children on a barren island represents her ability as a Samoan to create a good and meaningful life, despite the efforts of the Tongan king. And the bats who bring her food assert her own high status as someone to be served as they are bringing her fruits and supplies they're serving her as, like, bats. And also as the bats are the symbol of, like, the Tongan king and the Tongan royal line. Like, they're sort of adding, like, showing, like, the line, like, a symbol of the line submitting to the Samoan line. Yeah, yeah. Overall, the Samoan princess, like, wins Mm -hmm. the story. Yeah, and so choosing to come to her aid rather than the aid of the king they represent, it sort of demonstrates a transferal of power from the Tongan king to Leotongi, who is the Samoan princess. So it's sort of, like, challenging the Tongan power and Tongan regional dominance and, like, sort of the view that Samoans are lesser than in Tongan society. Yeah. Yeah. And also, it kind of depicts... Tongans is like mean because everyone's so mean to her oh yeah I mean this whole story I mean it's first like it is a Samoan myth like at first I was like is it a Samoan Tongan myth I think it's pretty much a Samoan myth because it's so clearly from a Samoan perspective it's clearly pro-Samoan it's pro-Samoan it's not it's not pro-Tonga um so there's definitely very much a cultural bias here and I do think it's interesting how like 
it uses all these like stories and symbols to assert this particular narrative. Um, I do think it is like historically that like Tonga has been like the dominant power throughout the region. So like it makes sense that like they're sort of using these myths and stories to like. So it's like it's not back. necessarily just mean spirited. It's also like challenging. Yeah, it's like challenging. Dominance. Like they've been fighting. You know, they're sort of like. You know, yeah. Haven't always had the best like been in the best situations because of like how they've been treated you know like yeah you know it's a complex relationship between like groups of people who like they're the only (laughs) people they interact with because for a long time because they're because there's just islands everywhere else just so far away everything's so far away and if you like canoes can only take you so far on the ocean although they can take you quite far but like there is a limit. And also, as I said before, in Tongan society, Tongan women are married off to Fijian men because they're considered too high class to marry Tongan men. So when Leo Tongi marries a Fijian <laughs> man at the end, she shows she's higher up than any Tongan man, ah. which is interesting. Um, and it also could show a represented, like, sort of show an alliance between Fiji and Samoa against the control of Tonga. So, yeah. Deeply political meaning in all of, like, and pretty much yeah, every definitely. aspect. Um, yeah. And she also reverses the original issue of the story, which is her infertility, and she manages to give birth to her son who will bring her titles and power back to Samoa. Yeah, and if she like if she kills the Tongan queen's child to then have a child herself, like once again she wins, she's fertile. Yeah. The other heir is dead and she has her own heir. Yeah, and she is a goddess of fertility as well as bats. Like she is And it's a son both times, which I think isn't probably not a coincidence cuz no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. sons are good yeah as we know but yeah so i think you know it's a really interesting story and like the layers to it are really interesting and i do think it's interesting to think about like something that's symbolic in in this specific way in one part of the world having like a very different like symbolic association in another part yeah. of the world too yeah like it's a very like specifically samoan tongan story like the mm-hmm. symbols would not work in a different place yeah like at the beginning, you know, it's like she's the goddess of bats, and it's like, oh, that's scary. But it's also like, no, it's bats are cool here. Like she's very powerful. Yeah, you want bats on your side, and not in like a scary way. Like a, it just shows your power way. You know, I mean, bats are powerful. Bats are like very cool. Bats are great. Um, bats are. I mean, like one of the art, the article where I got like most of the um evidence, like the, most of the analysis of like trends throughout the world of like, cultural trends about bats and stuff. Um, was basically in analyzing attitudes towards bats based on, like, stigma against bats, um, based on, like, yeah. specifically actually COVID, because there's beliefs that um, COVID could have originated as, like, a vector-borne disease from bats to humans, um, although oh. I don't know if that's been proven yet, so that's just, like, a theory. Um, but, yeah, you know, and, like, just the sort of idea and how that influences things. Yeah, it is interesting how, like, ideas about certain animals, like, form like not based on facts like mm-hmm. bats are seen as scary like pigeons are just doves yeah pigeons are just like, doves that live in the city <laughs> but they're like low class whereas doves are fancy yeah. like they're literally the same mm-hmm. animal yeah they're literally the same, same thing animal. like like what about bats is more scary than another like mm-hmm. winged yeah creature yeah and it's interesting and i think the like historical um and political aspects of the story are very interesting and plays into something that i find really 
fascinating and like I think is incredibly important about folklore and mythology is the way that it's used for like nationalist and like definitely um, sort of like political uh, narratives as well it's just like oh this is a story about how the sun was created you know which can also yeah, have like very at, at political first, connotations. Like. No, yeah, exactly. Like, at first glance, it doesn't necessarily sound extremely political if you don't already know. But, like, when you learn about the symbols and about the history, it's like, oh, so every single aspect of this story is political yeah. and it's nationalistic. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Yeah. Like, folklore is very powerful and it's really good to know the symbols because then you can know when it's being used for bad things. Yeah, the- definitely. And, and also... Like, it makes me think things. about how certain stories are like, oh, this is universal. But, like, it's not always universal mm-hmm. stuff. It's very specific to a certain place or a certain culture. And, I mean, maybe there's themes to be found that can be broadly applied, but, like, you don't have to apply it to yourself. Yeah. Sometimes things are just specific. Yeah, I mean, like, there are universal okay. themes that can be found in this. It's like, you know, be kind to others um, and stuff like that is seems to be like a theme that you could take out of this but it's also like this is also specifically about a specific um political like in political conflict that was going on and like yeah there are still tensions today i believe you can say like oh this has like general like implications and also if you like dig deeper yeah it's a story that anyone could enjoy talking about talking about you know yeah which is the case for so many like myths and like stories from folklore yeah yeah like it reminds me of what we're talking about in the two old women episode of like people were saying like oh this can apply to anyone it has universal themes that we can all relate to mm-hmm. whereas it was actually a very specific story from the Gwich'in people yeah. that that was like not being respected by saying it's broadly applicable mm-hmm. but sometimes things are just just they're just specific and that's okay and like there's still something to be taken from stories that are like this that are very specific to a certain place or a culture that can still be enjoyed broadly but you know it's it's loses the meaning a little bit to to take it out of its context like that and say yeah. that anyone can can relate to it mm-hmm. yeah things nothing comes out of a bubble everything comes out of a specific context and if you understand the specific yeah. context you will be able to better understand and even more likely more in, better enjoy the thing yeah the i feel story. like I, I understood the story better when you explained all the different symbols yeah like it's so <laughs> I was interesting like, oh <laughs> yeah yeah like it seemed like a simple enough story at first, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's it's really it's very deep. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting story and a really interesting cultural and historical background. So yeah, thank you. Yeah. So that was our bat themed episode. Yeah. <laughs> Happy Halloween, even though it's tangentially related to Halloween. Mm-hmm. Nice. Anyway, thank you, Zoe, for today's episode. Please feel free to subscribe, listen to our other episodes, leave a review, and we'll see you back here in two weeks. Thank you so much. Goodbye. May the Ladies Podcast is produced, researched, and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MidTheLadies and visit us on our website at MidTheLadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thanks for listening. See you in two weeks.